Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Purgatory is from a Latin word meaning to make clean or to purify. Now, even within the Roman Catholic community, there's a lot of mystery and confusion about purgatory. And so just to kick off some episodes here on purgatory, let's hear from Father Peter Stravinskis. Now, he Peter Stravinskis is the founding editor of The Catholic Answer, which is a magazine that answers questions on the Catholic faith. He's at the time of this debate, I'm going to play you a clip at the at that's from a question question-answer session at the end of a debate on purgatory. Now, at the time of the debate, so this is all from the, from his introduction, at the time of the debate, he had written 21 books and 500 articles explaining the Catholic faith. He travels the country answering questions. Um, he's, he's lectured at 70 dioceses and various conferences about Catholicism. Um, he's an adjunct professor at the Holy Apostles Seminary and also at Seton Hall. He holds a Master of Arts in Biblical Theology, and then also in his introduction, they listed a lot of other master's degrees, and he also holds a doctorate degree in education. And so this guy is very smart, and he knows Catholicism. So here's a clip from the Q&A session at the end of the debate, and what you're going to hear, the the first person you'll hear talking is an audience member, and he's going to read some passages from the book of Tobit. Now, Tobit is part of the Apocrypha. Catholics call it the deuterocanonical books, and I've already done an episode on why Protestants do not include them as part of the scriptural canon and why Catholics do. So just know this, that the the passages that this questioner is going to read, he's reading from what Catholics consider scripture. And so, uh, and then um, Father Stravinskis is going to give him an answer, which is just going to shock you. And then James White sort of closes it out with, with just a brief comment. So that'll be what's going on in this clip here. Here we go. I have before me a, a Catholic Bible imprimata, seal and stamped. Uh, I'm reading two sentences from the book of Tobit. Uh, Tobit chapter four, verses 10 would be my first uh, sentence. For almsgiving delivers from death and saves men from passing down to darkness. The second sentence I'd like to read is from Tobit chapter 12, verses 9. Almsgiving saves from death and purges every kind of sin. My question is, this is a book that the Catholics have held as being inspired. Given the emphasis you have made with purgatory... It appears to me that every good Catholic seems to have the option, instead of going to purgatory, to perhaps write a check or do alms of some kind. That will also purge them. Yeah, it's pay now or pay later. Very simply. So you can write a check now to avoid purgatory? The New Testament tells us charity covers a multitude of sins. What is that fee? Because I think you'd get a few checks probably. What would that amount be? <laughs> okay, Reverend White, do you have a response as well? Uh, the term charity is actually the term love, not the giving of money in the New Testament. And I, I, what can I say? Uh, if, if our view of sin is such that giving alms uh, can cover sins... Uh, why did Christ die upon the cross? 
So that pretty much sums up why Protestants have such a problem with purgatory. And so today I'm going to explain the basic Roman Catholic teaching about purgatory, and then also, and, and then here's my brief outline. It is how do you get into purgatory? How do you get out of purgatory? And then I'll go over some some what I think are inconsistencies in the the in the concept of purgatory and all that that comes with it. And so that's the basic outline today. Next week I'm planning to walk through all like the different passages in the Bible that Catholics will use to try to justify their belief in purgatory. So I'm not going to mention many Bible verses today and and even if I do I'm not going to like go in and explain you know, how Protestants interpret it versus Catholics. Um, so that'll be mainly next week's content. So anyway, let's get going here. Now you can always connect with me at bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can message me on Instagram at the real bear Martin. And I've been doing some commercials, but I don't have a sponsor for this week's episode. Um, so back to a bear in the woods segment. Now, uh, this Bear in the Woods is is about the song You're So Vain by Carly Simon. It was released in 1972 and eventually reached number one on the charts. It's also listed 92nd on Billboard's Greatest Songs of All Time. And so in case you're not familiar with the song, the chorus goes like this. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you, don't you, don't you? All right, so you've probably never heard it sung like that, but that's the chorus. Hopefully you're familiar with the song. Now, here is what drives me insane. I am a big lyric person, so songs' lyrics are very important to me. I really enjoy songs that have a, a, a witty lyrics or maybe a little, a little catchphrase or just something about it. I like listening to lyrics. So... That, that's what drives me insane about this song because the song is literally about them. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. The song is about them. So quit calling them vain because it really is about them. So how is this 92 on Billboard's greatest songs of all time? L- here's, let me make a suggestion. Here's, I think we should just flip these songs. Just kick You're So Vain out of there. And you know what's not on any sort of ranked list of greatest songs of all time? That is John Deere Green by Joe Diffie, and that is a great song. So go check out, if you don't know what song I'm talking about, go check out John Deere Green by Joe Diffie. It's not even ranked in the greatest songs of all time, uh, may, maybe on a country uh, a country ranking. Anyway, I think we should just flip them out, get your Sovain out of there. Now that is just my opinion, and this has been A Bear in the Woods. All right, so throughout the years, throughout the centuries, there has been a lot of teaching on purgatory, but the Catholic Church only officially teaches a very few things. And when I say officially, like popes and saints in the past have taught a lot about purgatory, but it's never been considered infallible teaching. There's there's very little that's like on the infallible side of of the of the line for Roman Catholicism and in regards to purgatory. And so the catechism of the Catholic Church it is a good way to sort of lay this out. And so I'm reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, second edition, and it starts in uh, 1000, Catechism 1030, 1031, and 1032. So I'm going to just read through that real quick. 
All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. The tradition of the church, by reference to certain texts of scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. Now, this teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead, already mentioned in sacred scripture. Therefore, and then here it's going to quote a passage from Maccabees. Maccabees is also part of that apocrypha or deuterocanonical grouping of books. It says, Therefore, Judas Maccabeus made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sin. I'll talk about this passage next week. Now, from and then continuing with the catechism, from the beginning of the church, the from the beginning, the church has honored the memory of the dead and offered prayers in suffrage for them. Above all, the Eucharistic sacrifice, or or that's mass, so that thus purified they may attain the beatific vision of God. The church also commends almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. Now, I'll give a a link to the councils of Florence and Trent where you can look up, if you want to, the official dogmatic teachings, but the catechism sort of sums that up. And again, it's very little, um, just a a few paragraphs in each, so not, not much official dogmatic teaching on purgatory from the church. Basically, it's this, that purgatory exists in some way and that the, the, the common belief is that most people will have to undergo or, or will go to purgatory for at least some sort of uh, cleansing before going to heaven. So purgatory, basically the, the Catholic Church teaches that purgatory exists and that, it, that we should pray for those souls who are in purgatory, and we can also do other things that help them out. We can offer the Mass in, um, like in honor of them, not, not really in honor, but on their behalf. Uh, we can have Mass said for them, we can give alms, we can pray for them, we can fast, and then we also can get indulgences for them. So you, you've heard some of this stuff in previous episodes, and I'll, I'll go back and explain it a little more here in a few minutes. All right. Now, traditions about purgatory have changed over the centuries. As I mentioned, the the dogmatic teachings about purgatory is very little. But like like in medieval times, purgatory had a a time to it. So like if you were a really bad person, you could have hundreds of thousands of years that you were going to have to spend in purgatory. And and even as uh, it's like St. John Vianney, he died in 1859. So not too long ago, uh, he said this, the fire of purgatory is the same as the fire of hell. The difference between them is that the fire of purgatory is not everlasting. So the same as hell, it's just not forever. Um, now that's that's different than what you're going to hear from most modern you know, or modern Catholics today. They, of course, they're today. Anyway, Catholics today, especially in Western culture, will uh, kind of give a little bit of a different aspect to what happens in purgatory. This concept of time and days and months and weeks and years, that, that all of that it goes away, and and purgatory is more of this um, mysterious. You know, there, there there's not really a specific time assigned to it. And also, the the fires of purgatory 
are not described in the same way as like the the fire of hell. It's it's the fire of the immense love of God for his children. And but because we have impurities, that fire is painful at first. And then once our impurities are burned away, then then the the fire of God's love, so to speak, uh, feels really good to us. And so here's a quote from Scott Hahn. He's a popular Catholic apologist, and this is from a podcast. I'll link it in the episode notes below. So here it is. Hebrews 12, verse 29 tells us that our God is a consuming fire. That's the kind of love he has. It just burns out of control. Our God is madly in love with us. He's madly in love with us. It's sheer madness for the God who owes us nothing, to whom we owe everything, but to whom we gave practically nothing, he turns around and gives us everything, including himself, by becoming one of us and allowing us to kill him. He's madly in love with us. And that mad love is burning out of control and filling the vast universe. It's just that our physical eyes can't see it. But they will someday. And our souls will undergo it. And those who have refined their love through self-sacrifice and mortification and penance in charity through the Spirit on the foundation, which is Christ, but those who have done so are going to enter into that fiery love of God and say, ooh, feels so good. I'm home. And other people are going to look back where they've compromised and taken shortcuts. They've done a lot of great things in love and faith and, and hope. They've even suffered some, but they've taken a lot of shortcuts. They're going to enter that fire and say, ooh, ooh, and purgatory's for them. The saints in heaven would freeze in purgatory. And hellfire for the saints in heaven would be like ice, dry ice. One of the pro-Catholic books that I've read on purgatory is by F.X. Shoup, and its title is Purgatory. But basically, he, he gives a lot of accounts of people that have had visions of uh, like, so people on earth that have had visions of those who have died and they come back from purgatory to give them some sort of message. Um, so lots of, lots of different like supernatural vision type stuff of what goes on in purgatory. And a lot of these are very different from the way that Scott Hahn has just described it. And so again, over time, this, the idea of what's going on in purgatory has changed with the culture. So how does one get into purgatory? That, that's kind of a weird way of asking the question, but how do you get into purgatory or why is purgatory necessary? In Revelation 21, 27, the Catholics will quote this verse all the time. It says, nothing unclean can enter heaven. So that's kind of the basic premise is that you, you cannot get into heaven unless you are perfectly clean and purified. So uh, w- Protestants and Catholics agree that we have original sin. We are born into sin. You don't need to teach a child how to sin. We, we naturally are sinners. And so uh, baptism in Roman Catholicism gives you a clean slate. It, it takes away this original sin. And, and so infants are baptized and they, you know, that is washed away from them. Now, as an adult, if you, let's say that you didn't grow up in a Catholic family, but you convert to the Catholic faith later in life, 
no matter what things you've done in the past, at the time of your baptism, you are given a clean slate. So there, you it, it remits baptism remits all eternal punishment for sin, and it also remits all temporal punishment for sin. And we'll we'll get into temporal punishment here in just a second. So just know this that you have a completely clean slate. If an adult, no matter how bad they've been, converts to Catholicism and gets baptized, if they have a heart attack and die the moment after their baptism, they would go straight to heaven, no purgatory for them. So baptism is a clean slate. That's very important to understand. Now, you know, so let's assume you get baptized as an infant or even as an adult, and then, but you, but you don't die right after that. You keep living life. Well, you're going to sin. And so Catholics break up sin into two basic categories. You have venial and mortal sin. Now, venial sin is the lesser of the two, and Catholics will use this phrase, that you are in friendship with God. If you're in friendship with God, then that means in general you are are trying to live a godly life. You're you're following the you know general teachings of Catholicism, and so if you are in friendship with God, then venial sin damages that friendship or relationship, but it doesn't completely break it. And so it's really important that you are in some sort of friendship with God. If you're in friendship with God, then heaven is your final place after death. So yeah, you may have to go to purgatory first, but as long as you're in friendship with God, then you'll eventually get to heaven. Now, venial sin damages that relationship. So if you have a lot of venial sins on your account when you die, then you'll have to go to purgatory, but you'll eventually get to heaven. Mortal sin tears apart, breaks apart that friendship with God. So if you commit a mortal sin, and so so a common example would be adultery or murder, if you commit a mortal sin, then that relationship with God is broken. Now, for mortal and venial sins, you need to go confess those to a priest, and then a priest will give you penance. And this could be saying a certain number of our fathers, which is basically the Lord's Prayer, um, or, or Hail Mary's, or the rosary, um, you know, going to a a certain um, religious site in Catholicism and saying some prayers there. So, I mean, penance could be lots of different things that the priest assigns you as a way of um, uh, paying a a punishment and earning some merit towards the forgiveness of of that sin, that venial or mortal sin. Now, you can die with venial sin on your account that, that hasn't been confessed yet to a priest, and you're okay, you'll just have to pay for that venial sin in purgatory. But mortal sin, if you commit a mortal sin, you need to get to confession quick because that re- you need to get that relationship, that friendship with God restored. And so mortal sin separates or breaks apart that friendship. If you die having committed mortal sin that has not been confessed and and forgiven, then you go to hell. Now, it's important to know that purgatory is not a second chance for everybody. There are there are people in in Roman Catholicism, there are people who just go straight to hell. If you've committed mortal sin and you're not in friendship with God, you're you go to hell for eternity. You don't get to go to purgatory and see if you can work it out there. You just go straight to hell. So purgatory is for people that are in friendship with God but still have some sin on, on you know on themselves. All right. Now, when so you go to confession and you do your penance and then you're forgiven of venial sin and but and mortal sin if you're doing the confession, but you still have 
uh, a tendency to sin. You're still in some ways attached to that sin. And so you need to uh, basically learn your lesson. And that's where this concept of temporal punishments comes into play. Temporal punishments are what you have to pay for in purgatory if you don't pay for them in this life here on earth. And so the eternal punishment for sin, that is everlasting hellfire, that is forgiven by by the grace of God. But in order for you to learn your lesson, you are also given by God these temporal punishments that have to be paid for. And again, they can be paid for by doing extra things here on earth, or you can pay for them in purgatory. And the, you know, the the cry of the Catholic Church is do everything you can to pay for them here on earth because it's much easier to do it here on earth than it will be in purgatory. An example of temporal punishments because um, it, it is a concept that is difficult to understand, especially from a Protestant background like myself. Um, it just doesn't make sense because I've been taught my whole life, and I and I still believe this, by the way, that Jesus Christ paid the all the punishment he took all of that on himself on the cross he bore the punishment for our sin and so there's no punishment at, you know after this life now are there consequences for the sins we commit in this life absolutely but we are not given this you know more legal punishment by god that we have to pay for um, anyway, in in the Catholic view of temporal punishment, I've heard I've heard this illustration used by multiple Roman Catholics that are are trying to um, explain temporal punishments. They'll use this illustration that let's say that a a child um, is throwing a baseball and he breaks a window, and let's say he was being careless, or maybe even he was trying to just be mean, and he breaks the window of a neighbor's house. Now. That kid has no job. It's impossible for him to pay for that window. And so the parent will do what the child cannot do for themselves and pay for that window to be fixed. You know, the neighbor is not going to take the kid to court and demand that, you know, he be punished or whatever because the parent will pay for what the kid just can't pay for. That's kind of what Jesus does for us. He uh, pays the eternal punishment for sin, uh, a sin that we, uh, a, a a debt that we owe that we could never pay for ourselves. So that's what Jesus does. But God wants us to learn our lesson. So just like a parent who would pay for the window, so the child doesn't have any guilt. Um, the, the neighbor can't take the child to court to get the window paid for. That's already handled. The child doesn't have any more guilt for their sin, but the parent wants them to learn their lesson. And so they would assign temporal punishments to the child so that they learn obedience. And so maybe the parent says, okay, you're going to have to clean the every window in our house every week for a month or you know something like that. Anyway, so the child learns his lesson. That would be the temporal punishments. So there, there's the concept, and we're going to come back to that a little bit later. So basically, as a Roman Catholic, or, or Roman Catholics believe that when a person dies, they will go one of three places. They will go straight to heaven. Now, who goes straight to heaven? That is for the Virgin Mary and the saints. If you are considered a saint in the Catholic Church, one of the things that is implied in that is that a saint lives such a good life here on earth that they have they have essentially achieved this uh, purification, this perfection here on earth, and they actually have excess merit to, um, they, they've got more than what they need to make it to heaven. Now, this excess merit 
by the Virgin Mary and the saints and, and also Jesus Christ, that goes into what is called the treasury of merit. So it's like this divine bank account of this extra merit that these that Mary and the saints and Jesus didn't need. And so that can be distributed to to um, people that do need it. And so we'll talk that's that's coming up. And that's how that's where indulgences come into play. But so if you go to heaven, that's for the Virgin Mary and the saints. They have they have they are so good they have achieved perfection here on earth. Now in Roman Catholicism you can go to hell or you can go to purgatory and again that all depends on your friendship with God where where that relationship what that relationship status is. So that's how you get into purgatory. Now how do you get out of purgatory? You can certainly go through this suffering for your your own sins. You can pay your own temporal punishment. This is called satis passio, and it is literally you're you're atoning for your own sin, your own temporal punishments. So, how do you get out of purgatory? The very simple way is you pay for this yourself through your suffering and purgatory. It is a um, it is a passive or a you are accepting the punishment. Uh, from God, this suffering from God in some way. Again, that that suffering has been described several ways over the centuries of the Catholic Church, but it's suffering of some kind. There's some sort of pain and discomfort involved in that. So you can pay for it yourself, but you can also get help from others. And so that's where the, the you can have mass. Uh, so if I had a loved one that died and I believe they were in purgatory, I could have a funeral mass for them, and so the mass is said for them. And then also, you know, you can do this several times. I was listening to a Catholic Answers radio broadcast, and a lady called in. She said her mom died two years ago, and so far they have held six masses on her behalf. Um, and and how often should she do this? How long should she keep um, having these masses said for her mom? Now, the answer that was given to her is that typically you will have a mass said on a person's behalf on the anniversary of their death each year, but you could also do a Gregorian mass. Now, this was taught by St. Gregory the Great, and it is 30 consecutive masses that are said on the behalf of, of the person who died. Now, if the, so, so you may be thinking, well, what if this lady's mom was a pretty good Catholic and she just has a very small amount of time in purgatory and she's already in heaven? Why do we just keep saying masses on their behalf? Well, even if you do this, if it's not needed, if she's not in purgatory anymore, then the these this benefit of having mass said on her behalf is then passed on to some other soul in purgatory. So it still does good, basically, is, is what this uh, Catholic answering her question was trying to say. So you can have mass said for the dead. You can also do prayers, give alms or fasting. And if you're doing that on on a person's behalf uh, that's in purgatory, then that is sort of applied to their um, purgatory suffering and, and it, it lessens their suffering in purgatory. It helps them, again, in some way. The Catholic Church doesn't um, officially teach in, in what way that helps them. And then you can also have, in, uh, you can also give an indulgence or earn an indulgence on behalf of the person who has died. So an indulgence it comes from this treasury of merit. So that's the excess merit of Jesus, Mary, and the saints. And guess who has the ability to distribute these merits to the church? That's right. It's the Pope. The Pope has access to this treasury of merit. The Pope can it basically controls 
who gets out of purgatory if you're relying on these indulgences? And so the Pope can determine how these indulgences can be earned. And there's two main types of indulgences. There's partial and plenary. Partial helps the person out in purgatory in a in partially, okay? So it doesn't free them from purgatory, but it helps them in some way. A plenary indulgence completely uh, gets rid of all temporal punishments. So therefore, if you earn a plenary indulgence for someone in purgatory, they, they're out of there. They, they get to go to heaven. And so that's, and, and you can also earn indulgences for yourself here on earth. So, so there's lots of different ways to earn indulgences. Now, the concept of indulgences was greatly abused at the time of the Reformation. So I've talked about this before, but Leo X was a very corrupt pope. He was selling church offices to the highest bidder, and then he also cut a deal with, uh, with people so they could go sell indulgences, and half the proceeds would go to the pope, and then the people who were selling the indulgences, they kept half the proceeds as well. So very corrupt, but this was uh, Pope Leo X's way of making money to build St. Peter's Basilica and other things that he wanted to do. And so um, Martin Luther heard the the preaching of one of these indulgence salesmen. That man's name was Johann Tetzel, and so that's that's what sort of spurred uh, Luther's ninety five theses. And there you have it: the the Protestant Reformation. Now the the Roman Catholic Church condemns what Pope Leo X was doing. So I mean they they don't think that this was the right move by Pope Leo X. They don't sell indulgences so to speak, like like Leo X was doing it. And by the way, the indulgences that Johann Tetzel was selling, I mean, some of those were costing people up to half a year's wages. But the, Johann Tetzel, as he was preaching this, he would he would talk about the, the fires that your loved ones are undergoing in purgatory, and don't you love them enough to help them out of this you know immense torture? And so people were coughing up this money to try to help their loved ones and by buying these indulgences. So the Roman Catholic Church uh, will say that that was wrong, that the wrong way to handle indulgences, but they still offer indulgences today, they're, but they're not... Um, specifically bought like they were back then, that you you can earn them by doing different things. So um, on behalf of the dead, you can visit, in November, you can visit the cemetery of a, a person that you're you know wanting to free from purgatory, and you can say some specific prayers. There's some other requirements that you have to do, but you can essentially earn a, um, a, a plenary indulgence for them to be freed from purgatory. Now, you can also earn indulgences, again, for your yourself here on earth, or you can apply that. You can earn an indulgence on behalf of someone in purgatory. So a few examples, you can adore the Eucharist for 30 minutes. You can read scripture for 30 minutes. You can visit certain holy sites and recite prescribed prayers at those sites. Um, now, also, just I, I want to make sure I'm being fair here to Roman Catholicism. It's not just that you do that. There's there's also some requirements. Essentially, you have to have the right heart attitude. You have to also pray for the Pope. Um, you have to um, disregard or not be um, in the act of committing venial or, of course, mortal sin. So you you have to have you have to come to this in trying to earn a plenary indulgence. You have to come to this with a, a pure heart. And so it, it is. You know, the the church does emphasize that it has to be with the right heart attitude. And so I don't, I don't want to 
be too flippant with, you know, with earning indulgences like you just visit some cemetery, say a few, you know, say a few words and even though you don't mean a bit of it, you still get the indulgence. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. However, keep in mind that people were paying up to half a year's wages to earn plenary indulgences at the time of Pope Leo X, and now you can adore the Eucharist for 30 minutes or read your Bible for 30 minutes. And so it's certainly uh, in that way, it's much easier to get an indulgence today. So you can be freed from purgatory by, you know, by paying for it yourself in, with, pun- with the... With the um, punishment or pain that you're enduring in purgatory, uh, mass for the dead, prayers, alms, fasting, indulgences can be can be done or on your behalf or earned on your behalf. And then also there's the promise of the, it's called the Sabatine privilege. Now this comes with wearing the brown scapular. So it's, it's uh, you could just Google brown scapular and there's tons of pictures of it. It's sort of like this necklace type thing that Catholics will wear, not, not all Catholics, but some will wear it. And in, in the year 1251, the Virgin Mary is said to have appeared to St. Simon Stock. Now Simon Stock was a Carmelite and Carmelites were known for their devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so supposedly, Mary told Simon Stock this. She says, whoever dies invested with this scapular shall be preserved from the eternal flames. It is a sign of salvation, a sure safeguard in danger, a pledge of peace and of my special protection until the end of the ages. And so a lot of Catholics will wear wear this brown scapular regularly. Um, There are some other requirements. You have to observe chastity according to one's state in life. Um, In reading more about this, you know, one of the things was it suggested abstinence on certain days of the week, um, and you also have to pray the rosary daily, typically. There, so there's there's some different requirements there to um, to have this brown scapular sort of agreement with God, I guess. Anyway, in 1322, so so the the promise to Saint Simon was that whoever whereas the scapular would not go to hell. In 1322, Pope John XXII um, also heard from Mary, and this is written in the papal bull Sacratissimo Ulti Culmine, and so it's called the Sabatine Privilege. And basically, Mary promised that she would go into purgatory on the first Saturday after a person's death and and free them from purgatory if they were wearing this scapular. So that is called the Sabatine privilege. So the Saturday after your death, if you're wearing that scapular, Mary will come get you out of purgatory. Uh, another tradition that I came across with this scapular is each kiss of the scapular reduces 500 days in purgatory. Again, used to there was time associated with purgatory, and so you were trying to um, reduce that that amount of time that you would that you would be there. So you know, there's some other traditions around the brown scapular. So lots of different ways that you can eventually get out of purgatory. Now, let me talk about some inconsistencies that I see with all of this. Um, first off, you've got this idea that the the modern idea of purgatory as that is that it's this loving fire of God 
um, and that there's is not really associated with time. Well, I've already showed that this is, you know, that when when the Catholic Church is very inconsistent, you know, used to there was a bunch of, you know, it was specifically associated with time, so much so that that Mary is waiting till Saturday to come get you out of purgatory, and now you know, Catholics are like, well, we don't know, it's not really associated with time. It's more of this this immense love of God that that burns away these impurities. It's um, I, I, when anytime things are very inconsistent like that. It um, causes me to have doubts. Okay, so so that's the first thing. Um, also, it, you know, if we're going to go with this idea that it's actually the gracious gift of God that allows us to be completely purified, it's it's His love that that purifies us, and that it's a good thing that we have to learn obedience. We have to we have to go through these temporal punishments that that way we can actually learn to be obedient. Then why would you want to shortcut uh, short circuit that by getting out of purgatory earlier? Um, so you know this cleansing takes time, and Catholics will you know the, the problem they have with Protestants because Protestants believe that it, when you die you either go to heaven or hell directly, and and Catholics will say well nothing unclean can enter heaven, and when you die, you're not perfect, and so you can't just go straight to heaven. God just doesn't magically change you from someone who is is tempted with sin. You know, we, we still have, even as a Christian, you still have to fight the temptation to sin, and sometimes I do sin. And so, you're, you're, I'm not perfect. And so Catholics would say, you can't just go straight to heaven. You're not perfect yet. You've got to be clean. God just doesn't magically perfect you where you're, you're suddenly changed. Um, to, to quote Scott Hahn again, this is the guy who was talking about the, the love of God and the fire and all that stuff. Um, I'm just going to read this quote because it's pretty short. He says, Hebrews says that Christ, though a son, learned obedience through suffering. Why did he suffer in his human nature? To learn obedience and to impart that human nature to us in the flesh and blood of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. When we, re- when we receive that human nature of the eternal Son of God and historical Son of Man, we are enabled to learn obedience through suffering. There is no other way to learn obedience. So this idea that that we've got to pay for these temporal punishments and learn obedience through suffering. There, he says it right there. There's no other way to learn obedience. Again, Catholics will say you can't just magically be be completely purified and go to heaven. You've got to you've got to learn obedience. Okay. Well, except for Catholic baptism or the Sabbatine privilege. When you know you let's say you died on Friday at at um, 11.59, and then you're in purgatory, you know, one minute, and then Mary comes and gets you because you're wearing the brown scapular. You know, so, you know, there, there you are magically made perfect. I mean, you that that um, time that you need to be purified and learn obedience through suffering and all that, it's short-circuited. You, you, Mary just snatches you out of there. Or at baptism, all of your temporal punishments, no matter how bad you've been, it's completely a clean slate. Somehow you're magically, you know, all that stuff is wiped away. How about a plenary indulgence? Let's say, let's say I was a minimal Catholic. I mean, just I was right on the verge of that friendship with God being separated. I had committed so much venial sin, but it was I still had just bare traces of a friendship with God. Okay, so I go to purgatory, just barely escaping hell. 
Well, what if someone gets a plenary indulgence for me and I'm, man, I'm out of there. I'm, I'm in heaven. So again, it, this, they'll say for Protestants, Catholics will say, you can't, you know, you, you're not just magically made perfect. You've got to learn obedience through suffering. But, but it's, it completely contradicts this idea of indulgences and, and other ways that people are freed from purgatory earlier. And so the, in those cases, God does somehow magically just make them perfect that, but through these indulgences, through the, the merits of others that are applied to their account. So I find that that argument very inconsistent because the Catholics and on you know one side of their mouth will say we've got to have purgatory. Purgatory is this necessary cleansing before we can enter heaven. And then on the other side they're like you got to pray for them and you got to do everything you can to get them out of purgatory as fast as possible. And in fact, you can earn a plenary indulgence and get them out of there right now. And so it's it's like you hopefully you can see the inconsistency there. At least I do. <laughs> Um, all right, let's so let's go back to this this kid who broke the window, and so his parents assign him temporal punishments. I, I think this is a an, an analogy for indulgences, and again, this this hopefully will explain why I feel like this is very inconsistent. So the kid breaks the window, his parents pay for the window to be repaired on the neighbor's house, but they assign temporal punishments because they love their child and they want him to learn his lesson. So they tell him, okay, let, I, I just made this up. You've got to clean every window of the house every week for a month. So he's got to do a lot. That's his temporal punishment. Now, if his friend comes along and his friend is going to earn an indulgence for him because praying thir- you know, or reading your Bible 30 minutes is a lot different than the pain and suffering that you're going to undergo in purgatory. Catholics will say this. They're like, do everything you can to try to pay for it now, because it's it's in a way, it's like easier to pay for temporal punishments now on earth than it will be in purgatory. So let's so this temporal punishment for the kid is to clean all these windows. Well, his friend comes along and cleans one window on his behalf one time and earns a plenary indulgence for him. Well, now this kid is freed from his temporal punishments. That I mean in my mind that's how indulgences are working. You're doing a lot less but that is applied to someone in purgatory and they're freed. So it it just, it, again, it, it breaks down. Either purgatory is a good and necessary thing, and we must all undergo that in order to be cleansed and purified to go to heaven, um, or we just go straight to heaven and we are made clean by God. But this this idea of indulgences and other ways to get people out of purgatory, what does it do? It it keeps people enslaved to the Catholic Church and the Pope. You are you're offering masses in in within the Catholic Church. You're you're uh, in in Tetzel's day. You're buying indulgences, or now you're you're doing different things to earn indulgences in the Catholic Church. It keeps you under the bondage of the Catholic Church and the Pope. They have all the power. They control who goes to heaven, who goes to who. You know who gets out of purgatory. All of that stuff. Also, when you enter into heaven through the Catholic system, you go to purgatory. Someone gets you an indulgence, or you know any of that stuff. You are entering into heaven with the mixed atonement. You you have pay. You have atoned for at least a part of your sin in purgatory. You've atoned for that sin yourself 
the Bible teaches that Jesus paid all of that. Jesus said on the cross, to die," which means it is finished. The debt is paid. The books are balanced. So Jesus paid all of that. All glory goes to Jesus. It, we, don't, we don't go to heaven on the mixed uh, merits of Jesus, Mary, and the saints uh, because their excess merit has been applied to our account you know, out of the treasury of merit. It, it's, it, it weakens what Jesus has done in his life and death. And so that is the, the problem that I have with this concept of purgatory. Now, purgatory is not a concept that can be derived from the Bible. You have to be told it's there, and then you have to go back and try to find it in passing phrases, and sometimes by ignoring the context of a passage. So I'll discuss some of these next week, but you, you, that's a general concept that I have given in Catholicism. The Catholic Church tells you what to see in church history, and then you you have to go back and interpret every quote from church history and every teaching you know, with this lens of what the Catholic Church tells you you are going to find. Now, one passage in the Bible that gives Catholics some trouble in regards to this concept of purgatory is the thief on the cross who is saved in the last hour of his life. Catholics have to try lots of workarounds to somehow account for how this man can be in paradise with Jesus on the very same day. Surely a criminal would have to go through some you know, purgatory, temporal punishments. Would the first readers of Luke's gospel automatically assume, oh, well, sure, this criminal will be in paradise, but not before his soul suffers in purgatory? Or how about all those centuries where it was believed purgatory was associated with time and people could spend hundreds of thousands of years in purgatory before being purified? Yet this guy has, has a, you know, so little sin in his life that he only suffers less than a day? Or maybe Jesus just helped him out a little more because of the this special situation, because this man was crucified beside Jesus. Well, but hold on, I thought God doesn't just magically make us perfect. We have to learn obedience through suffering. See, this, this one story in the Bible breaks down a lot of things in regards to the concept of purgatory. So here's our closing verse. It's Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise.